Welcome to Your Life Now Radio Show, where your life matters. Your host, Coach Rhea, is a certified professional life coach with a passion to help make the difference in the world. Your Life Now Radio Show brings you powerful resources and effective tips to help you live your best life ever. And now, here's your host, Coach Rhea. Hello, hello my friends and welcome to your Life Now radio show. I am your host, Kotria. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I always wanted to say thank you so much for supporting my show. Thank you for listening live, archived, and for downloading the show on iTunes. You are amazing and without you, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And I thank you again. Um, just a quick reminder, um, this show it will be archived after we go off the air, and if you like to chat with me or my guest today, uh, you can call 626-213-5773. You can also use Skype next to the phone number on the show page, and you can connect there Skype to Skype for free. And one more thing, I have the chat room open, so if you like to um, check in in there, put your comment, questions, whatever you wish, just communicate with us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, again, for if you are a first-time listener, just a quick uh, introduction, I am the founder and the CEO of Your Life Now. It's a professional life coaching service, and uh, on this show, I try to cover a lot of different topics related to our everyday life and uh, some of these topics are could be on a personal level on a professional level uh, from personal growth to professional growth personal relationships we talk about money finances career self-esteem and of course overall the quality of life we also talk about one of the topics that is really close to my heart is spirituality and uh, one more thing before I introduce you to our guest today um, I like to set my intention. For those who have listened to me, know that I do set my intention in the beginning of the show. So here it goes. Um, my intention of doing the show is really just to help inspire you. I like to help inspire you to make some positive changes in your life so you can live the life that you deserve and intended to live. It's really all up to you. So all I ask of you two things is to have an open mind and an open heart and and take whatever is useful for you and, and use it. So, you know, this the show is not intended to treat anything. You like to know more about me and, and my work and or about my guests. I always have their information listed. You can contact me on my website at uh, www.coachingbyria.com or send me an, uh, an email at info at coachingbyria.com. So um, with all that being said, I'd like to uh, bring on my guest today, and I'm really so delighted to bring, uh, um, I call him, like he's like my spiritual teacher now, <laughs> um, Dr. Andrew Court. And I, Dr. Andrew Court, he likes to be also uh, referred to as an electric guy, uh, kind of guy. He's a prolific um, writer, a speaker, attorney, a teacher and a doctor of chiropractic. His books and seminars, um, you know, talk about spirituality, religion, science, mythology, education, healing, and tolerance in contemporary culture. And uh, uh, my guest today, we're going to be talking about his new book, The Door is Open, and the seven steps of spiritual awakening. 
And it really is my pleasure to have you on my show, um, Andrew. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You know, I like the, I'll let, <laughs> thank you, my friend. I like my guests always to kind of look, tell a little bit more about themselves. So I really didn't, you know, I mean, there's so much to talk about you. You're such a, an inspiration. I mean, all these things and all these teaching and, and the studies and, and degrees that you have. I'm not really sure, like, did you start when you were, like, five months old? <laughs> so tell well, our listener. Yes, thank you. No, I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's all that impressive. I, I'm 61 years old, and I just feel like I haven't decided what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm still working on it. Oh, and every few great. years I change it and there's something new. Because there's just so much to know and so much to learn and life is so interesting. Yeah, you actually said somewhere, I'm trying to find when I read that, that you are still a student and you're learning oh, yeah. and you continue to learn. I love that about you. Uh, because, yeah, you said you consider yourself a student and not a teacher. And uh, of these extraordinary thinker, philosopher, mystics, and writers, um, your work invites readers to study along with you, and that's how I thought when I was reading your book, the uh, uh, your new book, The Door Is Open. Um, so let's jump into that. You know, first of all, you know, for us who kind of little unsure about the term spirituality, most people associate spirituality with religion, but it's a lot more than just a religion, and there's a little differentiation. Can can you enlighten us a little bit? Well, to me, spirituality is, is the highest part of our lives. It's our connection to what's higher and greater than ourselves. And it's quite possible to simply ignore that aspect of our lives, and, and many people go through life without ever connecting to it. And many people, frankly, don't just they just don't have the time through history. It's been hard enough to just eke out a living and feed your children and die at age 30 and, 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 and leave the spirituality to... The, the priests. Uh, so, but spirituality is something that's innate in everyone. Religion is, well, religion has kind of a bad name with a lot of people mm-hmm. who talk about spirituality these days. Yeah. And part of part of my uh, intent and motivation is to change that. Not because I view religion the way it's often talked about in the newspapers in, in contemporary America. Um, but because because that's not what religion is. So, would you like me to talk about, more about that? Please, yes. I I, I want I want okay. you to teach us a little bit something. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Then I, I have found that all religions have two aspects. <clears throat> Excuse me. All religions have an inner aspect and an outer aspect, and we use the words esoteric and exoteric a lot. But I'll just talk about the inner and the outer parts of religion. The outer surface part of religion tells a story to the listeners, and it talks usually about what they want to hear about it. The Jewish people used to like to hear about their ancestors. Mm -hmm. The Greek people used to love to hear about these fantastic gods and goddesses and heroes. Mm -hmm. The early Christians liked to hear the story of Jesus and what he did day by day. And, and, And so a story is told that a culture loves to listen. And within that story, the people who listen to it are given something to believe in, some hope. They're given some nice moral lessons to keep out of trouble, don't kill, don't murder, you know, follow these rules. Uh, maybe they're given some negative feedback. You know, if you do, these terrible things will happen to you. 
but one way or another, they're told some good ways of life so that they kind of stay out, keep their souls out of trouble, have right. some hope, have some belief, and, and this is all wonderful. This is all good stuff until a culture from a little further away comes by and bumps into you and everybody starts arguing. No, my story's right and yours is wrong. And right. the next thing you know, they're beating each other over the heads and, and killing each other be, because they're disagreeing. Right. And, and that's what happens with religious hatred and bigotry and religious wars through the ages. But what I have found in, 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 in my work through, through many years now is that every religion also has an inner aspect. The inner teaching that's symbolized by, by the symbols and allegories and parables that are told. They're telling an inner story. And right. that story is always exactly the same. It's just different because the surface way of telling the story is adapted to the times and culture of a particular people. But the inner meaning is always the same. For instance, the Jews talk about the return to the promised land. The Christians sometimes talk about the quest of the Holy Grail. The Muslims sometimes talk about Muhammad's journey to the seven heavens. The Greeks talked about Demeter retrieving Persephone and returning her to Olympus. On the outside, those are all very different stories. But on the inside, it's all the same quest. Digging right. down low into the material reality where we find ourselves right. and returning to a state of divinity. The Jews symbolized that state of divinity and communion with God as being in the promised land. The Christians referred to it as, as attaining the Holy Grail. Uh, the Greeks referred to it as returning to Olympus. Those are just the ways of talking about it in, in mythological language. But the, the meaning is, is always the same meaning. Life is a quest to first descend into this material life, experience everything it has to offer, and then return home. Right. And to return home knowledgeable and full of wisdom and strength that you gain through the experience and now be of use to the Creator. Well, see, you just said it. You said the word and, and the experience. I mean, that's what we're here to do. We're here to experience the, the whatever it is that we, you know, that life has to offer. But, in you know, I mean, I, I, I come from similar philosophy as far as, you know, the differentiation. I mean, I don't call myself a religious person per se, but because of that reason, because of that divide, did, you know, like my religion, your religion is better, my God is your God, and, and all these different things that just kind of like separated us from being united, you know, because we all came from one place and we all go into one place. And that's, you know, so in that sense, I think we do, you know, um, accommodate each other with what you're saying, correct? I mean, it, in yeah. a sense of, you know, it, it, why do we, I mean, why is the hatred? Why are, why, I mean, the whole concept, and I don't want to get into, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world, you know, it's all, unfortunately, a problem with religion and, and, and disagreeing and, and thinking like, you know, one religion is better than the other and one belief is better than one belief. But the bottom line, I think spirituality is a lot more than just uh, um, religion to me in that sense. And, and I have been, and I don't know, and that's what I would hope that you enlighten us a little bit in that sense. I've been trying to be on a spiritual quest, trying to get a little bit more inward and, and, and try to figure out exactly, you know, what's the purpose of our existence and, and why are we here? And I had that question since I was probably five years old. You know, there is a lot more than what it is, you know, that physical, you know, uh, beat. And, 
you know, you bring it in your book, The the Door is Open. You talk about, you bring a lot of these Western culture and, and Greek mythology into the surface by talking about stories. Can you, like, for instance, I mean, I know one of the, the one of the stories that everybody can relate to or understand is the Adam and Eve, you know, um, right. story and, and, and the serpent. You know, it's like how the soul is really being, um, you talk about the soul being so shattered and we really need to go, you know, bring ourselves to what really matters, right? So do you want to talk about that a little bit or we don't want to talk give about away Adam and Eve, that's fine. I'd, okay. I'd love to do that. Okay. <laughs> I, I tell you what, let me give about a one or two sentence uh, preface to that and because it's also something you were just talking about. It, it is a, a, a very sad but I think very true part of human life that we keep repeating the same thing. A mm-hmm. great teacher, innovative, brilliant, inspired and enlightened appears and, and refreshes the whole teaching of, of spirituality for his listeners. And then people grab hold of it, start a movement, and within a generation or two, everything's been distorted and turned into orthodoxy. And everyone's now just being told what to believe and follow the rules. And if you don't believe us, you're wrong. And, 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 and we turn it into this selfish, uh, pride-filled nonsense. And another teacher has to come along and refresh it again. And we, we just keep doing that through history, from mm-hmm. Moses to Jesus to Muhammad to Buddha to Krishna. Mm-hmm. And we keep having to refresh that story because we keep ruining it with our with our pride and, and self-centeredness over Ego. time. <laughs> Ego, yes. And the same, exact same thing really happens within each one of us when we're on a spiritual path. We, we get to a point where we're all enthusiastic and we're learning something new, and then it dwindles away and turns into routine, and it has to be refreshed again. And, and, and we, we go through that internally as individuals as well as, as, as culture. So it keeps going on, and hopefully more teachers will keep coming as, as the ages go on because we still need them. Yes. But to talk about Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve is the foundation story, if you will, of Western civilization. Right. I mean, it is, it is the basic story upon which all of Western civ is built. Right. And I believe it has been totally misinterpreted, misunderstood, and distorted, and mm-hmm. just ruined so many people's lives and so many cultures and so many individuals. And, 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 and here, here's why. It's because it's not a literal story. Nothing in the Bible is a literal story. Many of the things that happen in the Bible are probably based on literal things that did happen, and great storytellers and inspired people put them together and, and, and made the Bible using some of those stories because people like to hear those stories. But it's not literal. Certainly Adam and Eve isn't a literal story. It's a symbolic story. Right. And to understand it, we have to understand the, the symbolic language that was used by the ancients all, all around that part of the world. And, and this is one basic piece of that uh, symbolic language that you have to know to understand this story. When you take a story and it's meant to represent your inner soul, men in the stories tend to represent thoughts in the mind. Women in the stories tend to represent emotions of the heart. Animals in the stories 
tend to represent our appetites and cravings from food to sex to sleep to all of, all of the physical needs we have. That's what they represent in the stories. And they represent all those things in me, in you, in all of us. Right. So the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent is happening inside every single one of us. It's not happening in some faraway place 5,000 years ago. It's inside my being. Yes. Now, something about Socrates and Plato is interesting. That, that They were much more direct in their stories. They weren't so much symbolic, and there weren't a lot of enigmas. They just were quite straightforward in what they said. So I often turn to Socrates to see how he talks about things. And, and, and this is important to the story of Adam and Eve. Socrates taught us that the human soul has three aspects. It has the mind, the heart, and the physical needs and desires and cravings of the body. Right. And he taught us that there's a hierarchy and a way they should be in, in a harmonious relationship with each other. The mind our inner wisdom and intelligence should be the ruling part of our souls, the, the governance of our souls. The, the physical needs should be supporting the existence of the soul here on earth, making sure we get food, making sure we get sleep, making sure we have the things fill, fulfilled that we need physically to live. And the heart reconciles between those two sides, the mind and the body, holds everything together, supports and protects the soul. It does so by listening to the mind as its proper guide of what should be done and then helping the whole soul to do it. But now, it, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but doesn't the mind also respond to the emotion part or the heart? Yes, there are all kinds of interrelationships, and I'm certainly being uh, oversimplified about this. Right, okay. okay. But if the, if, when the heart is, is, is kind of running amok with its emotions, our, our, our wisdom and better judgment should be in charge. Right. It doesn't mean, uh, Ashley, let, let me jump aside for one minute. There are stories in the Bible that um, with Abraham and Sarah, in which Abraham is kind of in charge and telling Sarah what to do. And we know that Abraham is the husband and Sarah is the wife. Abraham and Sarah were also brother and sister. And this is in the Bible, half-sister, brother. Right. So at the same time as there's a hierarchy of the mind in charge of the heart, the mind and the heart are also horizontal and next to each other on the same level. Right. So, so both exist at the same time. Getting back to Adam and Eve, what happened in the garden is that the soul became inverted. It became upside down. Mm -hmm. The serpent started deciding what we're going to do. Eve started listening to the serpent and going along with what it wanted to do. And Adam, representing our mind, was passive and silent. And by the way, if you read the story in, mm -hmm. in, in, in Genesis... Eve is talking to the serpent. They have their whole discussion, and, and she takes a bite of the fruit, and she offers some to Adam, and he takes a bite. It never says she tempted him. It never says she was treacherous. It never said she overwhelmed his better judgment. He was simply passive. She handed him the fruit. He took a bite, and that's all it says. So the soul was upside down. The mind was passive. The body, the body was in charge, and the emotions were listening to the body's cravings. God has to come down and correct that. He says, listen, 
serpent. You are going to crawl on your belly, face down, looking at the earth. That's your concern. Eve, you're going to listen to your husband. That's not a, a, a sexist statement about social life that we've turned it into. It means I the heart <laughs> to be listening to the mind. Yes. And Adam, you are going to earn your bread by the sweat of your face, the, the efforts of the mind. You have to start working and not being passive. That's what that story is telling us. And we are all committing that sin right now. This isn't something Eve did a thousand years ago. We're all committing that sin right now. The, if you read the newspapers that turn on the TV, you see that our whole economy, our, our whole culture is ruled by the body's cravings for for sex and glamour right. and gluttony. Right. Our emotions are running, just fawning over that, and our better judgment is just silent through the whole thing. That's the real sin of Eden. And, and that's, that's what you said in your book. telling us individually to stop doing. Right. You said that we all are committing sin because we're all hypnotized by the world the world of matter. Right. Um, which is so true. And, of course, you know, like with anything else, like I mentioned with religion, we try to manipulate and take and, 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 and tweak things to our own purpose, our own ego purpose, is like what we think it is supposed to be, you know, and that's, uh, unfortunately, that's what the, you know, um, and I love how you, you explained it. I mean, there's a lot more into the story of Adam and Eve than just the way it was told and mistold. Uh, um, and and I, I would like to tell your listeners and, and you and any, anyone who hears this, I'm, I'm not claiming that what I'm saying is the only proper interpretation of this no. story. Right. These stories are so deep. There are levels and levels and ways of interpreting. And that's why I invite people when they read my books, listen to what I'm saying. See what you think of it and then see what you think because we're students together. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and look into it and find your own meanings. But don't just accept the orthodoxy and don't accept the literal fundamentalism. Well, you know, I mean, on this show, we talked about one of the things that I wanted to get into as well when it comes to, like, you know, the the being hypnotized by the world of matter. It also comes, like, when we talk about the heart. You know, I know you you touched on it in one of your, I don't know if you want to share that on, on, on the air, but, you know, with um, uh, the love versus desire. And, you know, like, we, even our love, even the emotion part of the equation, it's manipulated by the ego. So we follow, we think we in love, but what are we in love with? You know what I mean? I, yeah. I mean, it, it, this is always like, you know, hard for me to comprehend because we always, you know, try to control, be in control, and we think we in love, and then our heart broken. And again, you know, you're welcome to jump in and talk about, you know, your experience. You talk about your relationship in, in New York City, and, you know, I don't know if you want to mention that. But, you know, like we think we in love, right? And then... What is it that we in love? Is it unconditional love, or is it love because it serves our own, you know, our own ego. ego? Yeah, yeah, right. sure. Well, I do, I do. I tell a story in in the book, following this Adam and Eve story about how how completely upside down my soul was. Some some years ago, I had an experience of thinking I was terribly in love with this beautiful young woman in New York City when I was thirty years old and living in New York City, and. Um, when she turned me down, I just went completely bonkers you know, and, and, and was just an absolute mess for a very, very long time. And it took some hindsight in, in years for me to actually realize that, of course, I wasn't in love with her. It, it was my body mm -hmm. really wanting to be satisfied. We had a sexual relationship, and I just wanted that and demanded that. 
And when when it was gone, and and this woman I thought was very beautiful and very sexual would no longer satisfy me. Uh, I, I thought it was totally unfair, and I became very angry and upset. And and in, indeed, I wasn't in love with her. I, I don't know if you got yet to the to the very back of the book. I have an appendix talking about three oh, yes, eyes <laughs> of love. Did you see? see yes, yeah. yes, so, yes, I have. So I, I, I talked about how there, there are three kinds of well, there are many many kinds of love. But talking about the love between a man and a woman, three three basic kinds of love, and and they they line up with the soul. There's a love that's the love of the body, that mm-hmm. part of the body's way of loving. Mm-hmm. And there's the heart's loving, and there's the mind's loving. And and what it comes down to, in a, in a, in a nutshell, if I may, is that the body's loving is chemistry. It, it reacts to uh, chemicals and, and physical Desires. attractions. Right. And 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 that's wonderful. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's, it's absolutely delightful. And and that kind of attraction and enthusiasm and excitement we meet when we cross the path of the right man or woman and and and, and are just totally enamored and fall head over heels it's it, it, it's chemical and it's physical and it's, and it's delightful and and we have every right to enjoy it uh, uh, contrary to a lot of orthodox religions fundamental silliness it's part of the experience of life and and we should appreciate it and enjoy it was it given to us yes it was absolutely given to us. Right, right right but now like most physical things physical things all deteriorate and mm-hmm. physical love deteriorates and sooner or later that that sensation starts to dwindle and go away. It has to be renewed, or we just leave and go look to fall in love with somebody else, which is typically what we do in this culture these days. Right. Because that's, that kind of physical love doesn't last very long. So then there's the heart's love. Now, the, the heart has an, is an emotional love, and that can last a little bit longer all by itself. But the thing about what we call emotional love is really a demand to be loved. Right. I want to feel that I'm loved, that I'm important, that, that she thinks I'm wonderful and loves me. And if she doesn't, I'm really upset and angry. So I demand that she love me. And when we're in this state, we often say, and I often said, but how can you treat me this way when I love you so much? <laughs> I love well, that. Yeah, it's like we always use that. Yeah. I know. Yeah, but I didn't love her so much. I just demanded that she loved me, and she didn't. Now I'm just very angry because the demand to be loved, that kind of emotional love, sooner or later makes that person resent us because right. we're always demanding of them that they feel the way mm. we want. And then we're all angry at each other because it, it turns into its opposite. It turns into hatred over time. So that love doesn't last forever either. And once again, in our contemporary quick gratification for everything kind of culture, we jump out of these relationships as fast as we can and say, well, I'm not in love anymore, so I have to get a divorce and find somebody else. The third kind of love, conscious love, the love that has to do with the mind, is the mind has to actually say, I know it's going to be difficult. I know there are going to be ups and downs. But when it's hard, I'm going to love this person anyway. When they don't love me, I'm going to love this person anyway. Because love isn't something that just happens you to You give. Right. You and I hope it. it doesn't vanish. It's something you do. It takes an right. effort. It takes will and work mm. and struggle. 
And when people have understood that, they've had marriages that have lasted forever. They've, they've, they've really learned to love someone even in the hardest of times. The great extreme of that is when Jesus says in the New Testament, you have to even love your enemies. Well, right. my enemies don't have to be the people attacking me on the street with mud. Right. My right. enemy can be whoever's giving me a hard time at this particular moment. Right. You know, at that moment, they're my enemy because they're, they're giving me a hard time. You still have to love even when the beloved is being irritating and annoying. You still have to love him or her. That, that takes conscious effort. And that love, the great teachers all know, always turns the other person into the same feeling for you. When you demand that they love you, that, that always turns them into resenting you. When you love them unconditionally, sooner or later that's, they will return that. And that's I have a question about that, and I am interrupting you again because I want to stay on that same um, um, uh, talk here. When, when how do you how do you train the mind? Because when the mind really kind of does what the emotion or the heart tell it to do, and not rather than being in charge, when you said in your book, but how do you train your mind to actually do what you just said? Like, I mean, what what are some of the things that you know? I mean, I know in your book, which I really highly recommend it because you do a lot of exercises. I hope we have a few minutes through the end that you can actually share one of your exercises with us, especially the. Uh, the body awareness, if that's okay with you. But yep. tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit, how do we really train that mind to think that way, the way you just said it? It sounds beautiful. If we can do it that way, but most of the time it doesn't work like that. Right. Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of pieces to it, and that's why I, I, I tell people, uh, I don't think of my books as self-help books, at least not in the typical sense. My no, book isn't going to make you rich, it's not going to make you skinny, and it's not going to make you spiritually enlightened in three days of a seminar. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work, and that's why the Hebrews were in the desert for 40 years. And you know, these things take—they take time and they take work. They may very well take more than one lifetime. But now, some of the pieces—if if you want to practice conscious love, try to think of what your beloved wants before they want it. You might be wrong, oh, you might not, certainly might not always be right, but try to put yourself in that headset where you're trying to anticipate what's best for them, what they want. Knowing that what they want and what's best for them may not be the same thing, but, but so you better stick with what they want because you don't know what's best for them really. And, and, and try to anticipate that. that. That's one kind of exercise we can do. But more, more in, in, a, in a general way all the time, we have to put the mind first back in its proper position. So what you were suggesting about relaxing the body and body awareness, that's part of it, so that the body stops interfering and demanding what it wants, keeping the heart's emotions under our wise control, not just letting them run amok without, without our being in charge of our own selves and wearing our hearts on the sleeves and acting like I did in New York City a few years back. So that's part of it, too. And then... The mind itself, you want to reach to the highest aspects of the mind. And that starts with meditation. That right. starts with learning to quiet the chaotic the thoughts mind. that are everywhere and mm. allowing what's best and highest to start arising and, and, and being remembered and touching us. When we're in, in the midst of, of our usual state of chaotic anger and emotions and our thoughts are running wild and confused, it, it's very hard to... To, to be in touch with what's really 
best in ourselves and for ourselves and for the world. So you you have to learn through, and it takes a long time, to to quiet that part of the mind and let what's really right and sacred in us start getting stronger and, and, and be more in touch with that. You know, then it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to remember to be patient when someone's giving you a hard time and to love them because you're not so hysterical at that moment. I think when that's where it comes to the part of training your ego, you know, I mean, our ego is part of us and it's not our enemy, but you got to, you know, recognize, you know, and separate, you know, that that ego part trying to tell you, oh, you know, somebody's doing this to me and someone is attacking me or somebody doesn't love me and they need to love me, they need to do these things for me. And 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 like you said, you know, I mean, everything, you know, requires patience, and patience comes with learning how to be disciplined by meditating. Because I mean, I know I've been, like I told you, I've been on on the quest for quite a while now, and I think one of the things that was so hard for me to do is to really sit still for even like five minutes, and it takes practice. And oh, yeah. I start disciplining myself, and I can tell you, I can sit for a whole hour now <laughs> and just, like, basically just be in silence and, and, and uh, whether I listen to my body or just try to tune into something that I really wanted to, to focus on or something like that. And uh, it takes practice. It, it never says, and, and this is not a, you know, I mean, I, I wish there was a different category on the show that I would not say self-help because, you know, I really am, you know, I mean, I don't know if you heard me in the beginning when I said about the inspiration. It's really to kind of like, I want all of us to kind of start it with me is to really get in touch with our really true essence, our true being, and recognize what is it the best for your highest good and for those around you because, you know, without the people around us, without the loved one around us, we are no one, you know, and we cannot have existed alone. Um, And that actually kind of connects to another point. In learning to meditate and in learning everything about our spiritual life, I think many Eastern religions took a wrong turn when people started going off into the mountains all by themselves to mm-hmm. meditate alone. And the Western tradition has, has maintained the idea that your spiritual life happens in your life with other people in the world. And, in fact, that's harder, and, and harder is good. But I, I think what I'm trying to get to is that if you're learning to meditate, if you're on a path, it's always good to be with other people who are also learning to meditate and also on a path. And if you can find a genuine teacher, and I'll, I'll define what that means in a moment, that's always helpful too, so that, so that you have guidance and help mm-hmm. from someone who's been there ahead of you and can help show you, and from other people who are in the same place as you are, and, and you can share the experience together and encourage each other. That it's not something you do by wandering off to a, mo- to a mountainside all by yourself. Right. That can work, I'm sure, and, and of course it's worked for some people and always will. But I think for most of us we need to be connected with, with others and, and help each other out. Let me just say about a real teacher, if, if you have a teacher who is telling you what to believe, right. and this is what you must believe, right. then you don't have a teacher, you have an egotist. Right. If someone is helping you learn how to think for yourself, Right. and feel for yourself and experience for yourself, then you have a teacher. Right. I totally agree with you. The first Absolutely. one is just a cult leader. Right, right. 
And I think most well, religions turn into cults sooner or later. Unfortunately, I know. I, I don't want to, like, you know, be um, not attacking any religion by all means, but I, I feel uh, so strong about what you're saying because that's so true. And, and unfortunately, um, that's what makes me, <laughs> you know, step out of the whole religion part and see myself as a spiritual being experiencing this physical, you know, um, lifetime. And and with all that being said, I mean, I think, you know, with, with your book, you know, talking about, you know, the seven steps, if you want to share something with us here on um, uh, to um, spiritual awakening, you know, I mean, being a spiritually awakening is what does that mean? First of all, let's, let's try to clarify that. Well, I, I think it, it means re- returning your state of consciousness to knowing what's always been there about mm-hmm what we really are, but we've been so hypnotized by the material world that all our uh, consciousness and thoughts and ideas and everything is external to us, and we think the real world is out there in things we can weigh and measure and touch and treat in a laboratory, when what's real is what's real inside us, and even what's inside us is covered in layers and layers of craziness, and we've we've lost touch with that, that inner spark that's part of the whole... Uh, that's part of God, if, if if you can use that word, and if not, you don't have to. But whatever's really divine and sacred in this living universe, that part mm-hmm. of us, that's part of that, and and spiritual awakening is getting back to that. The the steps I talk about, I I found in the myths, the Hebrew Torah, the Christian Gospels, and the Islamic Quran that if you look into the symbolism, they all go through the same steps. It's not just that they all believe kind of vaguely the same thing. It's they all very specifically are teaching the same method, just using different stories for their different times and culture, but the inner story, they're telling the same story and the same method. And, and the steps are, are, are these. The first step is making the decision. That usually requires that you have to get to a place in life where you've experienced enough to finally say, this isn't good enough for me, and, and, and I realize there's something more, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to become what I ought to be. Mm-hmm. What, what the universe or God or however meant me to become, I have to do that. And that usually takes hitting hitting bottom and having enough and finally saying, I'm going to make a start. So you make the decision, and that's the first chapter in my book. The second step is is rebalancing the soul, and and that's where the story of Adam and Eve comes in that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. The second step is is getting the body to be passive and receptive as it should be rather than in charge, getting the mind to be awake and active as it should be, and having the heart listening to the mind and integrating the whole soul. And, and, and putting everything back in order. That rebalancing or healing the shattered soul, I call it, right. is the second step. Then we simply, but when we finished all that, we simply become normal. <laughs> We're not spiritually awakened. We're just finally normal, the way we ought to be here on Earth in this right. life to experience Earth. Now, the next step after that is to bind the heart and soul I'm sorry, the, the, the mind and body. The mind and body, right. Also represented as heaven and earth together. And, and all the myths and all the stories then talk about raising the lower part of our lives 
up to the higher part of our life and and bringing what's lowest in us, leaving behind whatever has to be left behind, if anything, but transforming and bringing everything up to the highest part of ourselves. And when those two aspects, the earth part of ourselves and the heaven part of ourselves, come together, this is the heavenly marriage, the sacred marriage. Then there's taking the going to the mind now, and the mind has to be really put in order, and the highest part of the mind has to be awakened and put in charge. And that's what focusing and attention and meditation work is all about, so that the mind is not merely in control but knows how to do it and, right. and has learned what it has to do to be properly in charge, to be a good leader, not just some crazy, goofy leader, but to actually know how to do it correct. Right. Then there comes the stage of purifying the heart's emotions. And that means everything has to be brought up to the surface, acknowledged, looked at, dealt with, admitted, if you will, confessed, if you will. That's what confession is about in many of the traditions. So that everything is cleansed and purified. And it doesn't mean evil things we did are forgotten, but they're forgiven. And we, we, we've brought ourselves to a higher state by cleansing our emotions. Then comes the stage of giving back. Because now you've got the body, the mind, and the heart working properly, knowing what they're doing, and clean and pure. And right. now that makes you, in the ancient language, a teacher or a priest or the steward of the mysteries. You have now earned the right to go back and help others. And that's what a real priest or teacher should be, someone who really knows what they're doing. It's not theory. They've experienced and attained this level of being. And now you have to go back. It's part of your responsibility to go back and help others. And teach Most them what you've learned. Bring right. people up. Jesus brings people up before he can go home. Uh, Demeter starts the Eleusinian Mysteries and teaches everyone her, her secrets before she can return to Olympus. You have to go back and help. Then there's that final return to bliss in which you, you first, go through the final rites of uh, the final confession and letting go of all the final attachments. And by all the attachments, I mean not only the attachments to the bad things, but and ultimately you have to give up the attachments to the good things. Mm-hmm. You have to finally get yourself to a state where you, even the wonderfulness of a spiritual life, you have to give it up. You have to let go of everything so there's nothing left but you and the divine and you're not attached in any way. And then you finally cross over into that bliss. And that's the last stage. And that's the last stage. And, and, and so uh, we'll... Uh, and then we'll... I don't know what happens. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> me neither. Me too. Like, no, but you know what? I, I really, you know, I mean, and that's, that's basically my uh, philosophy, I guess. It, it really comes down to bringing the awareness. That's the first thing also um, to the surface. You need to be aware of what's going on. Um, and that's where you can find your way to that bliss and, and to let go of everything. While you attach these things, while you are not attached to these things. I mean, all that awareness, it's really also, um, I don't know, please correct me if I'm, um, you know, if you don't think I'm correct. And not saying it's not about correct or, or wrong. But, you know, in a sense of like, you know, when we really understand what's going on in our life, what's going on, why are we think like we need this this person in our life, why do we need these things in our life, what do they do for us, how they can help us, and, uh, um, and, and it's a little bit, 
hard for most people to comprehend that idea because, again, it's the ego part that we don't understand in our life and runs our life in the most majority of, of, of the time. I mean, I observe people all the time. It's one of the things that I've been, uh, like, I see it, which really kind of sometimes it, it, it's a little uh, overwhelming for me when I try to observe people and I see how they behave and act and stuff like that. I'm like, do people actually know they do one of these things? I don't think they do. They really no, don't. I don't. I They're don't not aware do. of it. <laughs> But but so, I agree with you that the ego is is a very big part of this. We we get our ego. The ego is the part of us that says I can do this. Yeah. I can become spiritually awakened. I can I can be in communion with God today if I want to because I can do it. I can do whatever I want when I decide to do it. That the character, by the way, is Pharaoh in the Old Testament. That's the ego. I can have anything I want the way I want. You have to do what I tell you. He represents the ego. The right. ego does that. But when we try too hard to do these things ourselves what happens is you end up repressing one thing and something else comes up instead because nothing has really changed so you might be able to repress a bad habit or a negative emotion you're just going to get another one is going to come up in its stead because something in you still has to be handled and dealt with and expressed and you haven't corrected anything you've just repressed something and pushed it aside the, the way to really do it turns out to be to simply observe it, mm-hmm. to try as hard as you can to just see what's happening in your heart, in your mind, in your body, and just to become as aware as you can and just observe it. Don't try to change it because you can't change it. Right. All you can do is see it. And the clearer you can see it with this little judgment and other chaos in your emotions at the moment, as clear as you can just see it, that's the best we can do. But it's, it's, it's the only way to do it, because if you do that, we, we know what happens when, in, in all the old stories about vampires, mm-hmm. and the sun comes up, you know, monsters, and the, the light shines on them. When, when light shines on, the light of consciousness you see, you see the truth, negativity, right. it takes care of itself. Right, you see the truth, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we call that grace. Grace does it for us. The yeah. light does it for us. The ego doesn't do it. All we can do is get the ego to be quiet and get out of the way and know what we are. Know thyself. That's what Socrates said. He never said change yourself. He said know yourself. And that's how we have to do it. It's all inner self-observation, meditation, and and becoming aware of what we are and just seeing it without judgment if possible. And then it all will take care of itself. By a much higher power than the ego. Yeah, and that takes. I mean, I just wanted to tell our listeners. I mean, obviously, we're not telling you what to do here, but I have to tell you, it's not something you can just do overnight. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of discipline to sit and observe yourself, and to really practice self observe, you know, uh, observation, and and to tune in and realize, you know, what 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 senses, what you know. So we're gonna take a, you know, short. We're gonna take a short break. Short in a few minutes um, before the hour is over. And we're going to do a little exercise, like you said. I hope you can do that. Now, you, um, as, a, as a chiropractor, you, you use also kinesiology, or I call it muscle testing, sort of. Yeah, to, I, I did do a lot of applied kinesiology. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And, and, and people could actually do these things on themselves, right? Because yeah. I know I do it. Okay. Um, because these sometimes like really kind of relates to certain emotions, certain, you know, things that's going on. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about opening the inner eye? Uh, you know, how important it is to really, I mean, that's part of the self-observation too. I think it's, you know, to kind of see yourself from the inside out, right? Yes. The, the, in, inner eye is the real ruler of the soul. It's it's that that highest part of our mind. Right. It's it's part of the mind. It's it's the the ruler of the mind, and it's ignored because there's so much clutter of thoughts and beliefs and prejudices and ideas and facts and figures and and just all the chaos that you, you know we're usually thinking about all the time. That the, the eye is 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 not well. We're not in touch with it if it's open or maybe it's just closed. You know, you know it's sleeping. So that that's part of the um, the, the stage at, at which we get the mind working properly. When you learn to quiet all the chaos of the mind that's going on, the higher part of the mind can awaken. And many traditions call that the, the inner eye or the eye of the soul. Uh, Plato called it noose. Third eye. Third eye, same the thing. Third eye. Right. Uh-huh. right. And, and that is the part of our being that knows right from wrong. It knows the truth. It's in touch with higher reality than just the appearances of this material world. And we've all had experiences of that eye being open for a moment and having some incredible insight, understanding something, seeing something on some level that we, we don't know, how did I know that or how did I realize that? I mean, we, we've all had that kind of uh, strange experience at least. Right. But Plato taught that that faculty can become uh, voluntary and permanent through the, the efforts of quieting the mind and opening the eye that, that he taught and that, that all the religions teach, how, how to become in touch with that. And that level makes us have a guide within ourselves that's not our ego anymore. Right. A guy that really knows what's right and knows what we should do, rather than our ego, which well, sometimes it happens to be right, but only coincidentally because it's really just doing what it wants. Right. And and uh, the, the real guy, the, you know, it's like in in the stories, Pharaoh was the ego, Moses was noose, the, the inner eye. He was supposed to be really in charge, and he had to get Pharaoh to understand. Right. You right. don't tell us what to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This, this is a, and that's why when he went up on Mount Sinai, and on top of Mount Sinai, he talks to God. Well, that's what Noose does. Noose is in direct connection with the divine. Noose knows. Noose doesn't just theorize and, and, and do things out of its own uh, egotistical desires. Well, um, we're going to take a short break, but i like to tell our listener, you go ahead and pick up that book. Uh, it's available on Amazon. The door is open. And uh, uh, give uh, um, Dr. Andrew uh, Court a review. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I read one of the reviews there. It was pretty uh, pretty interesting, uh, the one that you posted. I, um, yeah, on your blog. By the way, I want to mention that you do have a blog. And uh, can you tell us the name of the blog again? Yes, it's called Spirituality and Religion. To, to get to it, um, unfortunately, it's, it's spirituality-and-religion.com. 
hyphenreligion.com. Okay, I'll put all that information on the show page so people have all the links and as well as the link to your website, which is really um, very easy, www.andrewcourt.com. And uh, um, one more thing that I wanted to mention as well, you know, uh, that uh, Dr. Court also hosts um, a, radio, a TV show on CTSB and also available on Vimo. Vimo, is that how you say it? Vimo, right? Vimo.com? Uh, oh, oh, Vimeo. Vimeo. Yeah, <laughs> excuse my English, right? Um, it's called uh, Spirit of the Berkshire, which is... Uh, um, right. Yeah, okay. So I would definitely check that out because uh, it's very uh, interesting interviews on there as well. And uh, so we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, if you can kindly just do a short exercise for our listeners, including myself, we'd love that. And uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Thanks. Your Life Now radio show with Coach Rhea will return in just a few moments. Are you ready to put an end to thinking about how you wish it were and take action? Take this step to find out more by going to coachingbyria.com and you can receive your free consultation session with Coach Rhea. Welcome back. You are listening to Your Life Now radio show. I am your host, Coach Ria, and uh, today we've been talking with Andrew Court, the author of a uh, new book. He actually had uh, authored uh, several books, and today we are talking about his new book, The Door is Open. Um, Andrew is an author, a speaker, attorney, a teacher, and a doctor of chiropractic, and uh, um, before the show, before the break, we were, you know, discussing spirituality and, and the steps to spiritual awakening or basically being normal, <laughs> as uh, Andrew said, right, Andrew? Uh, become to being normal because well, what that, we're doing. That's the first step. <laughs> well, yeah. If we can, you know, try to uh, really uh, focus and practice self-observation, I think it's really, really important. And one of the, the, the best ways to do that is through meditation. Um, silent and sitting in silence for a few minutes. Start like um, uh, Andrew mentioned in his book. He said five minutes here, and you can work yourself up to um, more time. And that's how I started. So you got to start somewhere. So we have five minutes. Uh, if that's enough for you um, to do um, um, the exercise, you want to go oh, ahead. Oh sure, yeah. You know, we we were talking a little bit before about getting in touch with what's always been there, what we really are, and that, that that's a huge step. That's perhaps even really what spiritual awakening is because that connection to the spirit of the world is what we really are. Right. So here's an exercise. It's, it's not 
the usual kind of meditation, but try this. Sit quietly, but alert and with your eyes open. It's not a typical meditation. Sit with your eyes open. Look around the room for a moment. Notice all the things you can see. Become aware of them. This might be a chair, a bookshelf, a vase, uh, some glasses, a table, a window. Then pick one of these and focus your attention on it. Try to still the thoughts about other things as much as you can without being harsh with yourself and keep your attention on the object you've picked. Now, try to be aware of two things as you continue to focus on the object. Try to be aware of yourself as you continue to notice what you're looking at. In other words, try to divide your attention in two. Split it in two so that simultaneously you are aware of the thing you're looking at and you are aware of yourself looking at it. So try to hold both of these at once. Be aware of the object and be aware of your own inner state of awareness. If you can do this, you're seeing the world and you're saying, I am, I exist, I'm here looking at the world. The world isn't sweeping me away. I'm the one looking at the world and here I am. And you can start going deeper and deeper into that awareness of yourself being aware at the same time as you're in the world and you're looking at an external object. If you do this as best you can, and afterwards write down the impressions in a journal or, or discuss them with a group and see how you're doing, see what you're discovering. Is it difficult? Is it easy? Does anything change in your makeup when you're doing this? Now, I'll tell you one thing that changes in me. I'm 61 now, and I've been finding for many, many years that the world goes by faster and faster and faster. You know, I was, you know, it took me an awfully long time to become 21. It took a couple of years to become 35, and it's been about 20 minutes since then, and now I'm 61. And it just keeps going faster and faster. You, you know, I, I want to share something that I thought, you know, my 15-year-old boy had said to me, and I thought it was really, really interesting. I'm like, wow, never thought about it like, uh, like that. But he, this is what he says. He said, you know, Mom, you know why older people, he didn't say us old, you know, it's like older people uh, feel that time goes really fast than young people, and I said, no, enlighten me. He said, because when you get older, you start doing things over and over, over again, so the time goes really fast, where when you're young, you're learning something new all the time, and you're always excited about something, and, you know, to you, it's always an adventure, and so the time goes slower. I'm like, hmm. And, and, and I, I, would, I would turn it a, a slightly different way, but I think your, your son and I are really meaning the same thing. <laughs> Children are much more in touch with themselves in the world. They are, yes. We are swept away by the world too much. Right. And, and what this kind of exercise does is when you become aware of yourself in the world, time slows down and, and, and you, you get to catch your breath. Hey, wait a minute, all these things that have been going on all day, I'm right here. 
Right. I exist. I am. Like it says in the Old Testament, I am. I am. And here I am. And you, you, you get back into that, and the flow of time stops rushing by because you're present again. And most right. of the time we're not present. The world just right. takes us by the nose and leads us around. Yes, it does. And, and and with all that being said, because I have to tell you, uh, the time goes really fast, and I'd love to chat with you more. And uh, But I just wanted to tell our listeners, there's a lot more of those exercises in the book, so go get the book. I really do recommend that you get it. It's available in Amazon.com, and it's also available um, you can they can buy on your website as well, right? AndrewCord.com. Well, they can connect through my website to Amazon. They can go into a store; they they probably won't find it, but they can order it. Okay. And uh, lots of ways you can get a hold of it. It's on Kindle as well as paperback. It's great because it's always easy to you know to write on your uh, portable devices as well. So we are in the archive now, so we're streaming now. But I want to thank you. Thank you with all my heart, Andrew, for being thank my you. guest. And, and you are amazing. I'd love to have you on again and and, and, uh, and learn more. I mean, you, your story is telling is, is fantastic. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I, I need to uh, keep going back to the book and, and read more of those stories because uh, I have to tell you, I've not, I have not read all the books, so I have to be honest with you, like, you know, whether it's uh, the Bible or the Quran or whatever, but you bring on a lot of different, you know, and that's... Uh, it's real. It's not something, I mean, you know, if we really go back to the basics, they have a lot to teach us um, in, in the Western uh, um, civilization and, and, of course, the Greek mythologies and, and, and a lot of different places that you can learn a lot of things about what's going on in our life. And I know one of your books you mentioned uh, quickly, we can, because people can hear this uh, when it's archived, so I'm, I'm okay with it going over um um, what is that name of the book? Let me, uh, oh my goodness. I have written in here somewhere and now I lost it because it says it's really good um, for this time with elections going on and, and, and all these things. Um, oh, the American Psyche in Search the of the American Soul. Psyche, yes, thank you. <laughs> it really skipped my mind and I'm like trying to find it on my paper. Um, so, you know, when you go to Andrew's book, I mean, Andrew's website, you're going to see a lot of his other books. Even on Amazon, when you go to Amazon.com and put your name in there, you'll see all Andrew's books. And you can also try to see if there's anything else that you like um, um, to uh, to purchase and, and, and buy for uh, good reads. That's all I have to say. And you really have a lot of good reads. <laughs> Thank you again, my friend. And blessings to you and your family. And, and uh, till next time. Till next time. Thank All you. Right. Have a great oh, day. You too. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Are you ready to put an end to thinking about how you wish it were and take action? Take this step to find out more by going to coachingbyria.com. And you can receive your free consultation session with Coach. 